Hey everyone, welcome to Flightcast, a podcast dedicated to the mobile flight simulator Infinite Flight, which you can use on your phone or tablet. Go ahead and download that from the App Store or Google Play if you haven't done that yet. It's definitely a must for the aviation enthusiast on the go. Joining me in the Flightcast virtual studio today is Mr. Skyhawk Heavy, Mark Denton. Hey buddy. Hey man, what's going on? Also here is Flightcast regular Joe Riley. You're welcome, Joe. What's up? Thank you. And in a fun twist, our guest Jared Dichter is going to chat with us right out of the gate. Hey, Jared, welcome back. Good afternoon, guys. How you doing? Good, good, good. Jared's joining us for part two on the CRJ. In episode 32, we chatted and just didn't have enough time to really get into some of the details of the airplane. So we're going to try and do that today. As we've learned, Jared is a regional carrier first officer from Madison, Wisconsin, who currently pilots the Bombardier CRJ 200, 700, and 900 series aircraft. He's also a member of the Infinite Flight Air Traffic Controller Team. And this is fun. Jared and Mark, you guys are actually sitting in the same room for this recording. Yes, we are. We're sitting here uh, at the uh, at his hotel room so we could record this uh record this episode awesome so you're saying things are getting pretty serious (laughs) very much so and this is why joe we invite you to the episodes (laughs) afterwards yeah oh the after hours yeah Yeah. oh joe didn't you you all have actually already recorded this haven't you (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's done we're it's in the camp cool awesome (laughs) so jared what are you doing down there in mobile alabama well, this is the glorious location for my second overnight of a four-day trip. Nice. Where else are you going? Uh, last I night that? I enjoyed. Last night I enjoyed our beachfront hotel in uh, Fort Walton Beach, and tomorrow night I end up in Canton, Akron, Ohio, with the last day filled of four leg filled with four legs of flying in and out of New York's LaGuardia. So basically, your scenery declines. It from, does from it, VPS to Mobile. It absolutely does. It absolutely goes <laughs> completely downhill. Now, come on, Akron, Ohio. That's going to be a blast. <laughs> Too bad you can't stop by Gary on your way. <laughs> Ak- Akron, Akron, Ohio is seems to be our most populous overnight at this company because it is one of our maintenance bases, and. Uh, we we employ the entire top floor of the hotel in Akron. Wow. So Akron's just a party at the hotel. It, it uh, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. Okay. So basically the plane that you flew in today, you need to fly to Akron after everything. No, someone just comes to wash off the blood and guts <laughs> off the nose. <laughs> Jared, you had That's a little fun the- coming into uh, Mobile today, didn't you? Yeah, I did. At about 2,000 feet and 250 knots, a bird decided it wanted to come in and say hi. But it didn't make it through my six-inch piece of glass. It, uh, I have a feeling there are parts of it scattered over northern <laughs> Mobile out of Alabama. What you could have done, you could have done like Tyler and just hit go back 20 seconds and then redo it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Tyler will love that shout-out. <laughs> 
So, uh, oh, believe me, it's nothing he hadn't heard a hundred times before. That's true. <laughs> so were you PIC at the time? I was. I was, as a matter of fact. I was. Uh, it was my leg to fly because someone was supposed to be taking a video of the landing. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Mark, you got a really great video of uh, Jared coming into MOB <laughs> today, didn't you? I say this with all the love in my heart for you guys. <laughs> Mark, Mark shared a video. Play taxi five feet. <laughs> He's like, "Hey guys, I got this. I got this video today of Jared, and it's the CRJ taxiing yeah. straight into the gate." <laughs> like, wow, that is exciting. It's exciting. Mark. I had to download that over cell service, and it took like ten minutes. <laughs> At the end, I'm like, "What did I download this for?" <laughs> Well, I promised y'all videos, so I wanted to at least provide a video because, and here's what was crazy is I was watching him on flight tracker and it showed him coming in on one five. So I'm like, cool. Plus the METARS, you know, was favoring one five. So I go to the one five side of the field. Well, then next thing you know, flight radar is showing him on left downwind for three, three. And I'm like, well, crap. So I have to drive all the way around the coast guard base, the national air guard, everything, and go over to the South side of the field. And he's at the gate. That's because he had bird blood and guts all over his windshield, and he couldn't see what runway he was landing on. I know. Oh, no, I landed on 1-5 still. I was able to see. <laughs> yeah, but flight radar was showing me 3-3. Three, three. Maybe they hit the tra- the uh, transponder. Hmm. That video is the equivalent of a IFFG Photoshop. <laughs> <laughs> Can that please go in the episode? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, this is all staying oh, in. Please. You know what? Actually, here's here's what we'll do. We'll take the uh, video. We're gonna throw a little Flightcast logo on it, and we're gonna put it on uh, Instagram. No, don't do that. You don't <laughs> want your name associated with that video. We'll put the Skyhawk Heavy <laughs> logo on it. There you go. Yeah, I'll there put the Skyhawk Heavy overlay on there. Uh, I should. You know what? I should have. I should have videoed him doing his post-flight check, uh, his little walk around in his little safety vest, uh, kicking the tires, and you know. Tapping the flaps to make sure no, everything was no, still there. No, the 200, the gear is too low, so I actually don't kick the tires. Well, you were so far away, I couldn't really see. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. All right, guys, so we're going to get to some airplane talk here in a second. I just wanted to highlight a different kind of video that we uploaded to YouTube this week. Um, if you go to youtube.com slash flightcast audio, you will see a video called Flying the Murphy Rebel and Avoiding Disaster. And it's there's a little bit of... Um, you know, I'm trying to catch people's attention with that title, but obviously uh, it has something to do with the video, and it really does. If you if you watch it, and about halfway, a little over halfway through, uh, I was back to uh, my municipal airport after flying around in the Rebel with my friend Cam, and uh, I just was able to capture this crazy moment uh, involving a helicopter on video. So I put together a little feature feature film. It's about 15 minutes long. So go over to flightcast.audio and check that out. I think you guys will find it interesting and uh, maybe, uh, you know, submit something in the comments if you have any light to shed on that. You ever, any of you guys ever flown in a kit plane before? Negative. No. <clears throat> no, no. not. It's great because there's this little element of, I wonder if this is built properly while you're flying it. Yeah, well, 172 is about the lightest aircraft that I'm going to fly in. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Joe. What's up? How's the, how's the little one? 
Good. He's talking Good. about your newborn. Oh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mark. Yep. Uh, what came out of the F- Infinite Flight video tutorial production line this week? Uh, well, this week I put out um, a tutorial on how to use the trim, what the trim is on the aircraft. Uh, there's been a lot of requests for that one, so I just briefly covered that. Um, got a few more lined up. You know, one that uh, that I want to do, and I'll probably do it next, is when to use the strobes in the landing lots. Oh, yes, please. Because there's nothing that annoys me more than seeing aircraft taxiing to the runway with their strobes on or when I'm flying with you guys and we're at 30-something thousand feet and y'all got your landing lights on. <laughs> Guilty. Yeah. Oh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have a long talk about lights and switches, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, and then I got a few more after that. So, you know, of course, anytime anybody wants to request, you know, a tutorial, they can always message me on the forum and, you know, and I'll add it to the list to get worked in. Beauty. All right. Well, let's continue our chat about the CRJ. Uh, we talked a little bit about the differences between the 200, the 700, 900, um, Jared. And you mentioned to me the other day that you were flying the 200 and uh, you had to remember to transfer the bleeds. And so why don't you explain what you meant by that? It it got me researching bleed air, <laughs> uh, which was interesting. I, I didn't know. Uh, I knew that it was a thing, but I didn't know really enough about it. So now I do. But why don't you explain to us? Well, bleed air... Uh... Is this going to take long? Classic. I don't know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try and keep it concise. Um, this is good practice for my captain upgrade oral, though. So. Yes, this is true. Bleed air is used for a couple things on the CRJs and and other jet powered airplanes. Uh, for us, it it serves two purposes. One is our air conditioning and providing air for our passengers to breathe and pre- and keeps the airplane pressurized. Um, the other is for our anti-ice. Uh, so the CRJ, we'll start with pressurization. Bleed air is taken off in the CRJ 200, is taken off two, two stages of the motor. There's, I'm not 100% sure how many stages there are, and I should know, but I just have purged that from my memory. <laughs> uh, we there are two stages. There's the tenth and the fourteenth. Tenth stage air is what we use for our air conditioning and pressurization of the airplane. So what there is, there's a little duct next to the tenth stage of the motor that that sucks air out of the motor as it's passing through, uh, and it transfers it to what we call our packs, which is pressurization and air conditioning kit. I think uh, that. There's an acronym. There's acronyms for everything. That sounds good. We, we just call it the PACS. Um, <clears throat> transfers it to the PAC. PACS, one per each motor, which uh, controls our airplane's pressurization. So when we're up at 30,000 feet, the cabin is usually pressurized uh, down around 6. Uh, so even though we're up at 30,000 feet, for the people inside, it feels like they're only at 6,000 feet. Um, and we have cabin pressure manifold, uh, acquisition module, cabin pressure acquisition module and our, and a couple other 
tools that are all automated that keep the cabin pressurized as we as we climb into the descent. Uh, the other bleed air we have is 14th stage uh, bleed air, which and this is this is specific to the 200. It's a little different on the 79. Just just reiterating that on the seven on the 200, 14 stage air is used for anti ice. So it will take anti ice or it will take hot air off the motor from the 14 stage, run it through a bunch of valves through the airplane out to the cowls of our motors, um, and then also to the leading edge of the wing, uh, the CRJ. Uh, so prominently designed by Canadians, Jason, mm-hmm. is so well designed that we actually do not need anti-ice on the tail end of the airplane. We don't need any on the leading edge of the rudder or the uh, elevator at all. Uh, it's known as a symmetrical airfoil, so even though ice will build up on it, it will build straight out, uh, which will not disrupt airflow uh, from the tail. <clears throat> So, uh, when I told you I had to transfer the bleeds, Jason, what was happening was 200s on the ground, we didn't have any motors running, so the way we get our bleed airs off our auxiliary power unit, the APU, right. and to do that, we have to manually select from our bleed, uh, our bleed air panel to close the bleed air valves from the motor from the motors and open the bleed air valves uh, that lead to the APU, which allows air to come off the APU and go through the packs and keep the airplane cool when we're on the ground. So is that why before biggest, you start the main engines, the everything sort of sounds like it shuts down, all the air? Absolutely. Okay. Because they, when you start the main engine, that's the other thing. We take air off the APU to start spinning the motor. The motors, jet engines are so big, they need a lot. They need to be air started, essentially. Uh, and so they will, we take air off the APU to start spinning the motor. And that goes through the process to start to start the engines. Now, in the event that you have an in-op APU, which has happened, um, we have an air card on the ground yep. that we actually hook up uh, to the aircraft. And that's all it does, it blows air into the aircraft for them to have that air, the access to that air to be able to start to start the motor, start up the engine. So yeah, yeah, okay. So uh, typically in the summer, especially in Charlotte uh, or any city really where it gets really brutally hot, uh, like the 700 and 900 have better packs, a bigger APU and bigger motors that produce more power. We don't need to run the APU when we're taxiing out. Unless we have to start, unless we're single engine taxing, but they put out enough pressure that it keeps the airplane cool uh, in the in in the summer. In for the CRJ two hundred, it doesn't work that way. Uh, we especially if it's hot, we will leave the bleeds on the APU uh, to keep because the APU actually puts out more pressure through the air conditioning than the actual motors on the on the uh, on the two hundred. And having the APU running through the takeoff will give us a little more power on the motors, because when you have, what you have to think about is when you're using bleed air off the engines for, say, air conditioning, pressurization, and uh, especially 
if you have to have the anti-ice on, you're putting a lot more load on the motors, which it's all about motor preservation. And so in the summer, when we may need more power because it's hot or we're at high altitude, high altitude airports, which we don't have many on the East Coast, but uh, we will leave the, the air conditioning on the APU to keep the cabin cool and still get off the ground. And, and in the winter, it's the same way. You know, if we have to take off with the anti-ice on because it's snowing outside and we're getting de-iced and uh, we need the extra power to be able to have takeoff power, get off the ground, get in the air, and still have the anti-ice on, sometimes we have to leave the bleeds on the APU or we just won't have enough available power to get off the ground. Well, and you've said you feel like that aircraft's underpowered to begin with, right? Yes, and and it's old, so it has very, you know, tired motors on it is what, yeah. the way we like to describe it. And it's okay. crazy because the 200, the cowlings actually look bigger than the engines on the 7 and the 9. Yeah, it, it's... But yet it's underpowered, whereas the 7 and the 9 yeah. have plenty of power. Yeah. <clears throat> Interesting stuff. So, Jared, we've chatted a little bit about the uh, fact that the 200 doesn't have uh, leading-edge slats, whereas the 7 and 9 do, and that affects your approach and other things. So let's get technical for a little bit, not that that uh, bleed air discussion wasn't technical, but can you give us some average numbers for when you start your approach to landing and uh, you know how and when do you configure this aircraft for landing? Uh, yeah, we, we can definitely go into that. Uh... I'm actually in our POH now because I can pull that up. The way the way the book says to fly and the way it actually happens in real life typically is not necessarily. So the, the POH same thing. says not to hit birds and you <laughs> Yes, the POH says not to hit birds. But the POH also says that at glide slope intercept we should be at gear down and flaps thirty when that doesn't really happen when you're in Charlotte because they leave you at 6,000 feet. You intercept you intercept the glide slope 20 miles from the runway, and they tell you to maintain 170 knots to the final approach fix. So um, when you fly into big airports like uh, the ones I fly into, most no- notably Charlotte, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, Everything happens almost for you. Uh, Today, when we did Fort Walton Beach to Charlotte, we took off, we climbed out, we got onto the arrival. Like our first fix after takeoff was the first fix on the arrival for Charlotte. Just just to give you an idea, it's 400 miles from Fort Walton Beach to Charlotte. We were on the arrival for probably 250 of it, almost 300. So this whole time, which is time-based metering is what they call it. Atlanta Center loves it. Uh, you could probably ask Jared about it because they're, they use it so much. We got at 29,000 feet, we got told to maintain our slowest practical speed. We maintained 240 knots. Next controller we came gave, gave us 280 knots or less. So we sped up from 240 to 270. Next controller we got to gave us 250. Got on the arrival, or started coming, descending up per the arrival, 
which the speeds on the arrival were 270. They gave us maintained published speeds at the first fix on that had a published speed on it, on which was 270 knots. Sounds like your flight was me this morning. (laughs) It does. That's exactly what it was like. So um, when we fly in there, it's all very simple. Uh, You know, the book says once we get on the downwind, once we get on the downwind, we should slow to 180 knots. Uh, The CRJ 200 has a advisory directive, which is an FAA mandate basically that says we cannot extend the flaps until we're below 200 knots even though the flap limit once we extend them once they're out beyond flaps eight we can get speed back up to 230 knots the crj the, the seven and nine uh we can go from to flaps one which is just the slats there's no rear flaps that come down at flaps one it's just 20 degrees of leading edge slats we can do that at 230 knots. We can go to flaps eight, which it just drops the the trailing edge flaps to eight degrees. We can do that at 230 knots. Flap 20 is 220, and uh, flaps 30 is the same in all three airplanes. That's 185, and flaps 45 is 170. Um, so the book says when we come in, like coming into Mobile today, they left us on a left base. So about 10 miles from the airport, I started to slow from 250 to 180 knots. Once I was below 200, I configured to flaps eight. Uh, about five mile, I was about five miles then on, on the left base, I configured. And we were going right to the final approach fix, which is what, a four-mile final, four and a half? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> four, four and a half, something yeah. like that. And then, so the final approach fix is four and a half miles uh, from the airport. So we were... Five miles from that, four miles out from the airport. Uh, So I was at 170 knots and flaps 20. Uh, About five minutes before I started to configure, I hit that bird. So things got real hectic real quick. Um, At that point, I clicked the autopilot off because I like to fly. Uh, So I started, I kind of dog-legged it in. So I cut inside the final approach fix. Um, I configured to gear down and flaps 30, and that brings us, our profile on the 200 is 160 knots. Actually, our profiles are all the same. So when I call for gear down and flaps 30, I'm below 185 knots, slowing to, slowing to 160. Um, and I joined the localizer right on the glide slope uh, on about a four-and-a-half-mile final. Yeah, it's 4.8. Yeah, so I joined... To, uh, I was on it just inside the final approach fix on the glide slope at about 1,500 feet AGL or MSL. Uh, configured to flaps 45, called for the before landing checklist. Uh, Slow to our rest speed, which we were actually at 46,000 pounds today. We were pretty heavy coming in, uh, only about 1,000 pounds under our max landing weight. Slowed to my ref speed, which was 139, and brought that all the way down to the to the threshold. At 1,000 feet, my captain tells me I'm at 1,000 feet AGL. Uh, I, my response is stable. Um, at 500 feet, his call is, is, the airplane will actually call out 500 feet, so it'll go 500. 
he goes 500 feet on the bug, which is our speed bug. Because we actually, you know, in infinite flight, you don't have a little bug that moves with whatever speed you have selected. In the airplane, we actually have a little blue kind of cutout on, on our speed tape that moves with whatever speed we have selected. Okay. So I was on my speed, uh, and he reads out our sync rate. And the reason he reads out our sync rate, so I was syncing 0. 0.8, 800 feet per minute, which is just about what you're going to be at to be on the glide slope. Um, and the reason he does that is because once you're below a thousand feet AGL, that's why we have that thousand foot stable call. Um, inside <clears throat> a thousand feet, you have to be stable or at least transitioning to stable by that point. If you're not, it's grounds for an immediate go around. Uh, it's considered an unstable approach and the right thing to do by any means is go around and try again. And can you describe uh, what you mean by stable? Stable is vertical speed less, no less, or I'm sorry, vertical speed is no more than 1,000 feet, uh, no more than ref minus zero plus 10. Um, so our speed is nothing less than what it should be and nothing more, 10 knots more. Okay. And no more than, uh, I want to say dot, I think that that's what our book says. And dot deflection on the glide slope. Jared, when you're when you're fighting like a heavy crosswind or something, is it sort of is it diff, can it be difficult to know if you're stable or not? Yes and no. Um, regardless, your sink rate should be no more than a thousand a thousand feet per minute. That's that's simple. Your airspeed will be all over the place if it's you know you're dealing with a crosswind or you're dealing with some gusty winds. Um. If that's the case, we take our ref speed, and what we use for our gust factor is we take the gust factor and divide it by two. So if it's winds are <clears throat> one nine or zero at ten gusting twenty, the gust factor there, the gap is it gusting from ten to twenty. It's ten. We divide that by two. It's five knots. So we add five knots to our ref speed. Um, so that that's a stable approach. Uh, so at 500 feet, the captain reads that out. The airplane will then read out 100 feet when we're 100 feet AGL, and proper position for us there is just about to cross the threshold or right, right over the threshold. Um, now, the CRJ-200 and, and the 7.9 are very different in this sense. The 200, you're 2.5 degrees nose down all the way to the runway. The 7.9, you're about a half a degree nose up. In the 200, when you the airplane calls out 100, and then it waits for 50 feet and calls out 50, 40, 30, 20, 10. We, we talked about that the last episode. At 50 feet, you walk the power out in the 200, and you should be out by 30 and be at flight idle by 30 and starting to pitch back into your flare, and it lands very flat. The 7.9 uh, lands with a much more prominent flare, and you leave the power in. The, the best landings come when your thrust levers hit the idle stop as your main gear touches down. And the reason that is important is all of our flight spoilers or all of our ground spoilers deploy. The, there's a, uh, what's the word, a, a logic to when those deploy. The thrust levers have to be at idle. Uh, both thrust levers have to be at idle. There has to be weight on wheels or wheel speed. So, and the reason they all deploy is to unload the wing, keep the airplane on the ground, 
that's their primary that's why we call them ground lift dumping um so like when we deploy our flight spoiler we only have one flight spoiler that actually comes up we have four boards as we call them but only one comes up when we deploy our flight spoiler when we uh when we land, all four of those come up. When we turn in flight, only one comes up, and it's different. Uh, the seven nine actually uses two ground lift dumping and two two to assist us in turns and as flight spoilers. The two hundred's different. The two hundred is quirky. Oh, the captain will call when we land. The captain will call ground spoilers. Uh, I I use the reversers. Almost everyone does. So he'll call two in reverse. 9060 and it's not only the captain it, it's those are my calls too when I'm the pilot not flying right so okay. when he landed in Charlotte today he did is uh quirky, I made those call outs. is quirky a word that you use in the maintenance log um no <laughs> <laughs> so Jared you were discussing with Mark and I before the we hit record um something called Fadec can you go into that a little bit yeah, FADEC is uh, a very nice and probably something that makes pilots very lazy uh, tool that we have on the CRJ-7 and 9. I don't know why I keep calling it the CRJ-7 and 9. I think everyone knows that by now. I probably could just say 7-9 like okay. I normally do. I'll just ignore you. Um, FADEC is an acronym as... I think we have the most acronyms of any other profession. Um, FADEC is fully automated digital engine control. Uh, full authority. Full authority. See, see, that's why I have you here to fact check. Yep, that's it. Because I We're can't. We're all in trouble. When we fly the 200, which does not have FADEC, uh, we have to manually adjust the throttles so that our N1s match. When they don't match, they make a funky sound that... I, I can't describe it, and I don't want to do it again because I'll sound like a putz. Hmm. Um, but it makes a very different sound. If there are people that have flown props, it sounds like your 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 propellers that are spinning against each other are out of sync. What else makes that noise that we? Can... It's like when you try and hum with the vacuum cleaner and then adjust your pitch as you're humming. Yeah, I've never done that. that. That's ever. a good. Pitch. <laughs> I've never done it either, but it sounds like it makes sense. Try it. It'll change your world. What can we do to where Joe can understand? It's kind of like the sound that a moonshine distillery makes, and you try to match that, that sound, Joe. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know there that we go. One. It's like a womp, womp, womp. There you and go. it just and yeah. it just doesn't match perfectly. It's, it just doesn't match perfectly. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, I got that. So, so what FADEC does, more simply, uh, it manages our engine speeds. It manages our motors. It manages. It it takes a lot of the human element out of having to focus on making sure that they're matched, uh, <clears throat> and it does so much more than that. In the seven nine, our air conditioning, we can set a temperature, and it will command the packs to put out, out air that gets us that temperature. Um, in the 200, we have to manually set what the air, like, we just spin a knob to a certain air temperature, and it'll spit out that temperature air. It's It worked very well. <coughs> so 
the most important thing for me for FADEC is when I fly the 7-9 and we go take, you know, I almost said my call sign, uh, you know, flight whatever, line up and wait. Uh, run, dumb runway one, that's right. <laughs> runway one, eight center line up and wait. And we take the runway and the captain gives me the controls and we go to take off. I just push the thrust levers up in the seven, nine and it goes click, click kind of like the Airbus, Jason, you, you, you saw this in the Airbus right? and it advances the throttle or the, the engines to whatever the set determined N1 speed is based on usually temperature, uh, unless we're doing a flex takeoff in which it's the temperature we tell it, and it will put out the the right speed that it should be. In the 200, we have we just type into the FMS what the temperature is. It says, okay, your takeoff power setting is this, and when we go to take off, we advance the thrust levers, and then we manually have to get it and it. It's never exact. It's usually 0.2 or 3% more than what it should be. Why would you uh, tell it a different temperature? We tell it a different temperature to command less power out of the engine. Um, the name of the game in aviation is save your engines because they cost the most money. So the longer you can use them, the more money they can make me. So is that like a longer runway you'd have to use less or... Longer, longer runway. Um, almost always for us, we use usually the most. The, we tell it the highest temperature we can, which is forty-eight degrees Celsius, which is really hot. Um, so we do that. Um, the CRJ seven hundred is the best for this. We take off out of Washington D.C. with a full load of passengers, a full load of fuel. Well, not a full load of fuel, but. Nine or ten thousand pounds. We usually weigh about sixty-seven thousand pounds, and we are always going to be at flaps eight for takeoff. So we'll have the slats down to twenty, the flaps at eight degrees, <clears throat> and our flex temp is usually forty-eight degrees Celsius. And uh, I advance the thrust levers and DC's runway, and I will give you an exact number. It's like seven thousand and two feet long. Uh, that's runway 119 in Washington, D.C., at Reagan National. And we will do that 7,170 feet. We will always get off the ground because the 700 is lighter than the 900 with the same engines and more wing than the 200, so its speeds are far lower than, than what the 900 speeds are and far lower than what the 200 is. And we will always conserve the engines on the on the 700. And uh, so I push push the thrust levers up to the takeoff detent. We call it. We roll down the runway. We get the airplane in the air at a thousand feet. We accelerate to 200 knots. Bring the flaps up. Uh, and I call flaps up after takeoff checklist. And when I do that, I reach down to the thrust levers and I pull them back about a quarter inch. They'll slide up and kind of back into another detent so they're kind of stuck there and that's the climb detent and so it will set our climb power which usually when we take off with such reduced power it's actually more power than what we took off with um and we climb on out climb up i the most prominent flight i do is dc to jacksonville florida for some reason climb up go down the coast 
<clears throat> once we get our to our cruise altitude, I pull them out of the climb detent, and it will give me the max cruise power, which is usually like 89% N1, and I usually, it pulls back to about 85, 84%, and I cruise down to Jacksonville, Florida, and get on the arrival there and start that whole arrival process over that we just talked about. So FADEC will give us a nice clean sound. So we won't have a, like two awkward sounds coming from the motors. Uh, and it controls our fuel flow. It is, FADEC is brilliant. It, it controls everything that our motor does. So Jared, you've talked a little bit about Charlotte Douglas, which is uh, CLT, obviously in Charlotte, North Carolina. You fly in there quite a bit. Home base, we'll call okay, it. Okay, home base. So you chatted with me uh, the other day about banked scheduling. And, and actually, Tyler got a tour of uh, the tower there once, and he, he talked to me about this as well. Um, so bank scheduling with departures and arrivals. And at the time, you noted that uh, when you uh, shared this with me, you had been number 14 for departure while taxiing. So can you explain what bank scheduling is and and how it affects you as a regional pilot bank scheduling is the brain trust of doug parker and the american airlines management team uh it is their thought that if they bring all the passengers to the airport at the same time and then everyone leaves at the same time they're going to get the most efficiency out of their airplanes the most people seated on airplanes because all the big airlines are worried about is making money right so do you agree with that 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 actually, bank scheduling actually accomplishes that? I was a gate agent for a long time, well, for four years. And I have seen, I, I will say I've seen more efficiency out of it. I've seen what I feel are larger passenger loads and that it does give opportunities. I, <clears throat> I'm going to wash my hands clean of it. I, I honestly can't say. But sure. I, I've seen... I've seen mixed reviews, uh, you know, from a pilot's perspective, it causes a lot of congestion. Uh, you know, I, I've said it before, we've had 45, 50, over an hour taxi times to the gate. And that's on a good weather day mm. because there's construction and a taxiway's closed and whatever. Well, I can imagine too, if, if you're doing something like bank scheduling, so you've got all arrivals coming in pretty much at the same time and all the gates filling up at the same time. If one thing goes wrong, that could cause some major problems. Yes, it does. It does. It causes a lot of congestion. You know, you know, you, you have these problems where you're sitting on the taxiway already for 20 minutes now and, oh, the flight attendant calls, hey, someone got up to go to the bathroom. Well, now the airplane can't move. Hmm. And so if someone's too close behind you, they're stuck. And if someone's too close behind them, they're stuck. And if you're, you know, at a one way, you know, one way in, one way out, well, ground or ramp control is like, well, screw you guys. We'll get people out. And now there's 15 airplanes coming out. Oh, passengers seated again. We can move. Well, too bad you're stuck waiting for the 15 airplanes to come out so you can go in. Right. And just it. It can cause problems, but it does work. I mean, I've seen it work. It, it's If they do one thing really well at Charlotte, it's move airplanes. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard and it's hard on them. And I, I, I see it and I sit here and I bitch and moan about it because, you know, I'm affected or the, you know, my friends are affected by it. My, my coworkers are, but they move them quick. I mean, oh, that'd be intense in the tower for sure. Guys, let's just take a quick live flight break. We'll be right back. Mark, have you heard of live flight for infinite flight? Yeah, man. I've used it to track flights and to see which regions and airports are busy before, you know, planning my flight. Right. Well, as you probably know, a new version of Live Flight is now available at liveflightapp.com. This new version is better than ever and has been rebuilt from the ground up. With the new design, more flight stats, a search feature, and airport information, tracking and planning your flight is easier than ever. Oh, man, I know. And now with the new downloadable KML files, You can download your flight data to any Earth browser, such as Google Earth. It's so cool. Absolutely. And if that wasn't enough, you can now subscribe to Live Flight Horizon, a new service for only $1.99 a month that provides real-time, worldwide airport information such as weather, runway data, and charts. It also allows you to search for flights, active ATC frequencies, and airports. And as a Live Flight Horizon subscriber, you'll also get much longer online sessions, and you'll be helping Cam to keep developing and improving this great app. So guys, make sure you head over to liveflightapp.com to give it a try, and also subscribe to Live Flight Horizon. It will make your infinite flight experience so much better. And now back to the podcast. You know what? We have some leftover forum questions from last time, so I thought maybe I'd ask a couple of them uh, since this interview was I've sort got a of a forum question. Ooh, go ahead, Joe. I I, I just want to know because I've seen you fly a lot more lately. I guess you know being on here has made you actually participate uh, <laughs> more. Uh, when you're flying in, and you made the comment to me, it's now been twice in a row when you've flown, you've had some snide remark about me telling you to slow down. What is your biggest complaint about how controllers, you know, will handle approach and stuff like that, as opposed to how you actually fly? Uh, like when you're going into Charlotte, like today, you know, this morning, why I think was it yesterday in, in Chicago? So, so like this morning when you were flying in, I told you to slow to 200 and you were pretty far out and you know, you said something about it. Is that, I mean, do you, do people do that too much? Do you see speed controls used too much in infinite flight? Do you think they're not used enough? I don't, would you rather see like different vectors? I don't think they're used enough in infinite flight. To be honest, I think, you know, and this is for me, this is from what I've seen when we checked on to Charlotte Tower today. We were 10 miles from the airport, number four for the runway. I mean, spacing when you're landing in Charlotte is, if I look on my MFD and the airplane is inside our two-and-a-half-mile ring, we're probably okay. If they're any closer than about two to two-and-a-half miles, we may have to go around. I mean, it's that tight. And it's literally, it's it's all speed-driven. You know, it's, <clears throat> and it's, it's so much more complex in real life. Well, but, yeah, uh, yeah, obviously. And, and, it, and it'd be hard to recreate. But it's like, you check on with Charlotte Approach, you know, so-and-so, whatever, descending on this arrival with, uh, with Victor or whatever. They're almost always going to give you a speed. And at the first speed, if you're below 10,000 feet, they, they know you're at 250 knots. 
So the first speed you're going to get is usually going to be 210. 210 knots, because they want to keep everything tight. Everything is tight, three-mile to five-mile spacing. Keep it close. So get everyone in and get everyone out. <clears throat> That's what I was talking about last last couple days ago when we were talking about, you know, wake turbulence and stuff. Yeah, yeah that was about, yesterday when we were talking about departures. You know, if they're all going to the same airport, space them out a little bit. Don't just right. fling them out. And, and that's why I brought up departure fixes. It's all spacing based on that. So I would love to see, you know, oh, I'm on a three-mile final, you know, to O'Hare, and the guy ahead of me is just now touching on the runway. I think that would be great. Do I know how, how it worked? I don't know. I, I think we need some more tutorials from good old Skyhawk Heavy. But I think it can get there. I think, you know, spacing can come down. I think we need to take advantage of those commands, those speeds, uh, and and keep it tight. I liked what you did. I liked that your first instinct was to descend me to 9,000 because you know if I'm at 10, I'll be doing whatever speed I'm doing, but if I'm at 9, I'll be doing 250 knots. That's brilliant. That's what they do. You know, that's what they do in real life when they don't want to speed restrict you because, I don't know, they just say descend to maintain 9,000. And I sit there and look at my captain and I go... He only wants us to do that because we're going fast, and he wants us at 250 knots. Yeah. And then I saw I was closing on the guy, and you gave me, I think it was 240 before I even got there. So I ended up leveling off, slowing down, and continued my descent. And that's another thing. A lot of times they'll give you descend, well, slow to 210 knots, then descend and maintain 6,000. That's a huge one we get. Yeah. Cool. That's a good question. I, yeah, thanks, I like that question. Thanks for asking that, Joe. Um, so Misha was actually wondering last time you were here, Jared, um, and, and I, to be honest, and I, ha- I didn't ask it last time because we had so much to go over, and I wasn't sure if I should, uh, but uh, to be honest, I've wondered this too. Is it the case that uh, pilots of the larger aircraft sometimes feel they have more prestige over pilots flying smaller aircraft like the CRJ family? So if that's offensive, I apologize, but, you know, Well, doesn't, anyway. I mean, doesn't everybody start there? It's not offensive. It's not. And I don't want to. That's a really good question, and it's a really tough question for me to answer because I know some of the stories about people that I don't want to bring into this. Sure. So in, gen- um, in general, would you say, yes, there is some of that? Some do, some don't. There's some people that fly RJs that feel they have more prestige over other people who fly RJs. Oh. And I'm not going to go into that stuff. <laughs> well, that's I'm life, not going right? to go into that stuff. Yeah. That's life. In terms of flying skills, I'm not going to bag on anyone's flying skills. If you're good enough to get a job at any airline, clearly you're able to fly an airplane. Hey, it's all a big game you got to play. Some play the easy way, some take the long way, but, you it's know. Not, it's not the name of the game. The name of the game yeah. is how do you act when it's something that doesn't normally happen, happens. Are you ready for it? Are you prepared? Are you going to sit there and freak out? Or are you going to calmly be able to handle yourself? And I think that actually brings us right into the next question I saw on this, this sheet. Yeah, go for it. Uh, I won't even ask it. You can, can just set it up. Can, can the CRJ fly and get to the ground if one engine is cut off? I will tell you what, I've seen that airplane do a lot of things, and it absolutely can do that. Can it do it with both? 
<laughs> oh, it can get to the ground with both engines. Uh, yeah, both. can always well, get to the ground. Most things in the sky will get to the ground, Mark. <laughs> but could you land it on the Hudson? I wouldn't want to try. <laughs> no. I hope I never have. No, I hope I not. never have to answer that question. But yes, it can. Uh, here, here's a neat thing with the Fadec. Every six months we go to the sim. I actually go back for mine a month from today. Um, and we do. Eventually, we're going to have a new training program style where it's literally you go and you do everything repetitively until you prove that you can proficiently do it. So we practice what are called V1 cuts. So you're sitting on the runway, you advance the thrust levers. You know, if I'm the pilot flying, I look at the captain, or I don't look at him, I just say set thrust. He puts his hand on the throttles. So as we're rolling down the runway, he says A knots, I say checks. He goes V1. My second hand comes up onto the control wheel. He says rotate, I pull back. Now, right at V1, the simulator is programmed to experience an engine failure. So I rotate, and the airplane wants to yaw because we only have one power, one you know thrust coming from one engine. Uh, so we have to counteract that. With what rudder? Um, with rudder, yes. Okay. Um, lots of rudder. Lots of rudder, especially in the CRJ. Um, and we start climbing out, and it's a normal takeoff. Nothing changes. You just have more rudder in. Um, it's all about maintaining the center line. Uh, so I rotate, and everything happens really slow. It that's that's probably I think what freaks people out the most is how slow it happens. Um, just keeping the aircraft coordinated is it the is, important well, part. It is, yeah, but it's all about staying calm. That's it. So the engine fails. I go, okay. He already said V1, which is our decision speed. So I'm going flying no matter what. Uh, so he says V1, engine failure, rotate. I start to pull back, and the airplane comes off the ground. Nothing changes. Takeoff power is set. Uh, the CRJ has what we call APR, automatic performance reserve. So when it senses an engine failure, it boosts the operating engine by 2%, uh, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's it's enough. So we rotate at, at the proper altitudes. I call, well, I call, he calls positive rate. I call gear up, speed mode. Uh, the next call out will be at 400 feet AGL. I'll call uh, heading mode because we're, we're not going to turn at this point or we're going to fly whatever the proper engine out procedure is, which typically is runway heading. Have you told ATC uh, yet that this is happening? Usually in the process, someone has a chance to get a word in. It's usually whatever, whatever. We've had an engine failure maintaining runway heading. Okay. But you're flying, um, your first mission is to fly the airplane, right? So if you don't have time to talk, you don't talk. Yeah. First thing first is you fly the airplane. Uh, there, I mean, there are a couple airports where we're not going to stay on runway heading, taking off runway uh, one in D.C. and maybe in some terrain areas. But most of the time, it's runway heading. So I call heading mode and half bank because we don't want to overbank the airplane on one engine. Um, and then actually, believe it or not, I will reach down and trim the airplane and then have the autopilot on because it's easier to work and diagnose the problem and try and get the engine restarted or come up with a plan to to uh, with the AP running. With, with yeah, it's AP easier control. to do it when the autopilot's flying. Okay. Uh, so we do that. 
We accelerate eventually. We clean the airplane up, so bring the flaps up, run the QRH. So even if it's a fire, there's no rushing here. You need to handle the problem and fly the airplane because if something happens to the airplane, it does whatever happens next doesn't matter. Right, yeah. The, the, the engines are designed to fall off, and the airplane will still fly with the flaming dead engine falling off the airplane. The airplane will still fly. Okay. So uh, I wasn't going to ask this, but if you can give me a really quick answer, we've got a, we're short on time. Emil asked, uh, do you like it when people come by and visit the cockpit, which obviously has to happen before or after the flight uh, these days, post 9-11. So what do you say? Yeah, I mean, it's always nice. Uh, it's always fun when little kids come up and I let them turn on the seatbelt sign. Usually if it's before we push off the gate, it's, you know, it's nice to get a thank you, especially if we're dealing with weather or something. It's always Thank you for not killing us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I always, I always love to give a thank you if the pilots are standing there for sure. Yeah, I, I do what I can to stand in the in the doorway and thank people for coming along and choosing us. It's always nice. Guys, should we add anything else before we go? No, man. I think we've gotten a lot covered. Um, lots, lots of good stuff in there. Garrett. Did yeah. I answer all the technical questions? Yeah, man. And last uh, episode, you were uh, self-conscious about having babbled too much. Man, this is not, to me, this isn't babbling at all. It's uh, it's exactly what we asked you to come here and do and, and talk about what you love and, and what a lot of us love and we don't know enough about. So thank you for coming along and educating us a little bit. Hey, man. <laughs> it's, all, it's all worth it to me. You guys are good people, and I like good people. So There you go. We'll send you all pictures of the drinks later. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Jared, Jared, you look after our mark, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll take care of him. All right, Jared, thanks for being here, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jason, very much, and Mark, and kind of Joe. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> thanks, guys. That was Real World Pilot on the CRJ, Jared Dichter, and he joined us this time from Mobile, Alabama with Mark on Skype. Thanks, as always, for listening. If you haven't already, head over to the App Store or Google Play and download Infinite Flight. For more of the podcast, visit our website, flightcast.audio, and be sure to subscribe on iTunes or YouTube. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash flightcastaudio, on Twitter at flightcastaudio, and on Instagram at flightcast. Flightcast is brought to you by Linkhouse Media on the web at linkhousemedia.com. We can always use your help to keep the podcast rolling, and a few ways to do that are by clicking the donate button at the bottom of our website or by heading to flightcast.audio slash shop to buy your t-shirt, hat, mug, or iPhone case. To cover the fine print, Flightcast is not affiliated with Infinite Flight or Flying Development Studio. I'm Jason Rosewell. Thanks for listening, and happy landings. Joining me in the Flightcast virtual studio today is Mr. Mark Skyhawk Heavy. What? Nope. Joining me in the... (laughs) I just told Jared. I put it on mute, and I said, he's fixing to screw it up. <clears throat> it's part of my thing, you know? It's my shtick. Listen, uh, I love you guys, but I'm not doing this for the good of my health, so let's uh, get this thing going. All right. <laughs> no, We're not doing it for a paycheck yet, either. Definitely not that. <laughs> there we go. See? See, that's why I have you here to fact check. Yep, that's it. Because I can't... in trouble. If only Donald Trump had the same type of person on his team. Oh, let's not go political, Jason. <laughs> He's too busy out there grabbing people, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Mark does have to get up and drive in the morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
Oh, this is honestly, I'm, I have so much editing to do on this one. It's going to be fun. Hey, but this has been fun, though. It this has, has been, been very fun. fun. Yes. Jared, I hate to eat and run, but I've got to go. <laughs> Jason, is this what you do for a living? No, like, no, no. You're I'm really a, good at it. I'm a web developer, so I sit at my desk anyway, so I just add this to it. Add this to where I workload. Are you rec- video recording me? No, I just took a picture so I can send it to them so they can see how professional you are right now with your feet up on the wall. Oh, you should see how I am when I'm at cruising altitude and the autopilot's on. <clears throat> Maybe that's why you didn't see the bird. That's when you're so in your boxers, right? Their, nobody else huh? has their pants off. He's got such this deep voice, you know, for somebody who's about four foot tall can play racquetball in a shoebox. Good grief. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know Oompa Loompas could go down to that octave. <laughs> <laughs> when he got off the plane in Atlanta, I was like, I cannot believe they let an unaccompanied minor fly internationally like that. About so. Oh my did you, god! Did you have to pay to sit in the overhead bin? I would have asked for a discount. <laughs> this is garbage. I just spit water through my nose. He came out. He had the little unaccompanied minor sticker in the. <laughs> Little plastic wings stuck on the shirt. <laughs> did he have? Did he? Have, did he come out first? <laughs> I'm burning this hard drive when we're done. <laughs>